0: You're listening to Living Faith, the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. First Baptist Church is located at 100 North Lake Avenue in Avon Park, Florida. We meet Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. for Sunday school and 10.45 a.m. for morning worship. Sunday evening services are at 6 p.m. On Wednesday, we meet at 6 p.m. for our weekly Bible study along with our immersive student and children's ministries. Find out more at www.fbcap.net or give us a call at 863-453-6681. You can email us at info at fbcap.net. We'd love to connect with you soon. This is part of our current Sunday morning sermon series, Look and Live, Life and Light in the Gospel of John. Take your Bible, if you will, find the Gospel of John. 16th chapter you'll notice on the uh, slide there on the screen I have a website there and if you're new to us each and every Sunday morning and Sunday night I just take my sermon notes that I have on the word document and I provide them on the that website Uh, I just use that website as a way to post sermon notes and other things pertaining to where we're preaching and teaching so Um, I found it was a lot easier to be able to provide those notes that way. So if you have a smartphone or a device that can do that on Sunday morning, I encourage you still open your Bible, bring an open Bible and then you can lay that off to the side and and, and follow along um, as we walk through the word of God. As you'll notice in John chapter 16, I wanna take just a few seconds as we introduce the text. You notice there in John chapter 16, we're gonna be looking at verses 25 and 33. If you take your Bible and, and just kind of move forward through the Gospel of John, you see at this point, then in John 17, uh, Jesus is uh, uh, headed to the garden. He's praying, praying to the Father and praying for the disciples. And wonderful prayers there in verse 18. Then we see in 18 the betrayal, uh, standing before Anias and Caiaphas, and Peter denies him. Um, we see him before Pilate. Then there and chapter 19 he's delivered to be crucified Uh, John chapter 20 the resurrection 21 he raises the dead and the restoration of the disciples so I say all that to say this these last few verses in John 16 are the last words that Jesus is teaching his disciples now we could just preach the text and let the text stand for itself and and that would be fine But just think of it from that context. He has spent three years with them. And and he knows what is around the corner that, that night. He knows what is about to happen. They do not. He knows what he came to do. He knows that he is about to fulfill it. He understands the agony of the cross that he will face. But don't miss this. He understands the agony and the sorrow and the confusion that the disciples will face as he is arrested and beaten and tried and, and crucified. The, the, the questions when he, the tomb is empty, the questions when he appears before them, the, the questions when he ascends to the Father, the questions when the Spirit falls down on them in Acts 2. And then as they live that Spirit-filled life, Jesus understood all that awaited his disciples. And so as we bring that into focus and we think about Jesus and these last words to these men that are his, it, it, this week it just became alive to me, the words that he was saying. And so turn, if you will, in your Bible to that section in John chapter 16. I'm going to read verses 25 and through 33. I have said these things to you, and and for those that have been here the last several weeks, we've talked about he's been talking, they didn't understand, they do understand, they won't understand, they can't understand, but he's been talking in general terms, but apart from a born-again, spirit-filled reaction by the Spirit of God, they would truly never grasp who Jesus was, but he knew they would one day. So I've said these things to you in a figure of speech, the hour is coming, The already now, but not yet. The hour is coming when I die on that cross. I ascend to the Father. I send the Spirit. There is an hour coming that I will not talk to you in figures of speech, but tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and believe that I came from God. In other words, when the Spirit comes upon you, when you are born again, you have a relationship with the Father. We don't need a mediator. We don't need that earthly Jesus in that context to, to, to pr- try to pull back that veil. That's a good way to explain it. Jesus was trying to pull back that veil and to show them who God was, but they couldn't understand it until he came and paid the penalty for that sin and God tore that veil. Now they can see, they'll be able to see clearly You'll be able to come into the pre- You will be with a relationship with my Father. You can ask anything and my Father will heal you, hear you. That, that hour is coming because why? The Father loves them. Verse 28, I came from the Father and have come into the world and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said to him, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figure of speech. So they at least can understand he's not talking in parables. He's talking plainly to them. Now I see what you're saying. Because you remember in the previous section, he was talking about a, a mother bearing a child in sorrow and joy. And they said, now I understand what you're saying. You're going to the Father and we will understand plainly. Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you will know all things and do not need anyone to question you. That is why we believe that you came from God. And Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come, when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Listen to these words. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace, In the world, you will have tribulation, but you take heart. I have overcome the world. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the words of truth and the words of comfort. Just as real as they were to those disciples that day, they are just as real to your disciples today. And we thank you for that. Open up our eyes and our hearts and mind to what we need to hear. Remove the worry and the distractions of the day and let us hear from you. And this we pray in Christ's name. Amen and amen. His final teachings. Pointed, important, but yet they're very personal. That's one of the dynamics that we have a relationship with Christ. It's it's personal. Our relationship with the Father, it is is very personal. He's reminding them of everything he's kind of been telling them, but he also understands that they cannot truly grasp it. See, we're different from the disciples at that point. The disciples had not had the blessing of that cross experience and the filling of the Spirit, but see, we have. And so these words ought to be very clear to us. He's he's telling them two things, I think, in these verses. He's telling them the truth about what he is, who he is, where he came from. He's telling them the truth about what he is. He is about to do. He said, "I am God. I'm sent from the Father. I am the the Lamb that will die a perfect death." for your sin on that cross. He's telling them the truth and the reality of what the gospel is. He's telling them the truth of who it is that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh and what he came to do. But he's also giving them words of comfort. And we think about the context of this passage. They needed comfort because the truth of the matter was Jesus Christ was going to die on a cross and it was not going to be a pretty death. It was going to be filled as Isaiah taught them, where they should have realized it was going to be a suffering servant and a horrible death and a a bloody death and a, a, a tremendous sight to behold on that day. But yet he gave us words of comfort You're going to scatter but I'll be all right, I love that. You're gonna scatter and run to your home and Jesus is saying this. but I'll have my father. But then there's gonna be a day that your sorrow, remember last week, will be turned to joy and you'll have the presence of the father and you'll see things as I see things. And so we see truth, but we see comfort. And he displays these concept of truth and comfort And three great words of the New Testament, love, faith, and hope. 1 Corinthians 13 is one of my, uh, what it is, one of my main wedding verses. I tell people there's some stipulations for the pastor John to marry you. One of those is I read 1 Corinthians 13 in its entirety and I kind of preach through it. The greatest of these is faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. And I, I did a word search of that, and you don't see them laid out clearly like that uh, often in the, New, in the New Testament like you did in First Corinthians 13, faith, hope, and love. But if you kind of do a concept of those three words packed together, they are all over the epistles They are all over the New Testament. Paul's writing is full of that without love and without faith and without hope, we have nothing. And with love and with faith and with hope, that is the foundation by which we live. That is why Jesus could say, listen, I have overcome the world and you can overcome the world. You will be overcomers of the world if we understand that love and faith and hope have got to be the foundation by which we stand. And he shows us what these words mean. So I don't want us to miss them this morning. This first word, this idea, last words Jesus says to his disciples, this is important. We have to understand the Father's love. Look at verse 25 in the first part of 27. He said, The hour is coming, I won't speak in figurative language. And that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for there's going to be a day that you will be able to ask. There's going to be a day that you will see the Father differently. You will understand the Father because, notice this, this is what true love is. This is the love that the Father has for his own. Notice this, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me. The Father himself. Now think about that. When we think about God, we know God the Father, we we think about that word. It's almost like we we know that there's a God, we believe there's God, but it's like it's it's this object that's unattainable to us. It's real and we understand it and we worship and we adore it, but we forget how personal the relationship is with God the Father once we become a child of God. We even say it, a child of God. We throw around the word the love of God often, and I think there are two ways that we need to understand the love of God. There's a general love of God. where we say God loves you, even even when I hear that today in, in our context in our life today, that makes me a little nervous. God loves you. That we just throw that out there to God, like you know, going back to my Walmart ministry. You know, you get on the PA system. God loves you. God loves everyone. That's true but not like this love. This love says, I love you because you love the Son. I thought about this this week. Stuck my head in the corner. I said, hey, Pastor Matt, I got a question for you. We bounce things off each other. I said, what would be a good way for me to explain this? He goes, I got a good way for you to explain this. Because there's a, there's a general love that God has for mankind. When you wake up in the morning and you see the sun's rise and the sunset, that is God's love. That you are taking a breath and that you're experiencing life. That is God's love. That is a, a general love of God. For God so loved the world. There's, there's this general love of God. But then there's this specific love of God. God loves the world, but people are going to hell. We can say, God loves you. Hell is going to be crowded. But there's this specific love that we're talking about here, and this is, was Matt's. Uh, now, most of our examples, they, they make sense and we can gravitate to them, but don't overanalyze them theologically because it's probably not going to be a great theological. And Matt even said that a minute. He said, it, well, so don't, don't trace this too theological. It won't be that great theologically at the end, but it, it sounds good on the beginning. Get ready for this. I, Eric, I love your grandchildren. Know where I'm going with this? I love my grandchild. I love your grandchildren and your grandchildren and your grandchildren and your grandchildren. But I love my grandchild. She can cry and squirm and quit if she wants to. She's perfect and gifted. That was not her that said amen, but she was probably thinking it. Because <laughs> she is light years ahead of your grandchildren, okay? And I thought, you know, that doesn't really work. You know, the, I'm not God and God's love. But that, that's one of those things that makes you think. If we're not careful, and this drives me crazy, we we take an attribute of God and we diminish the cross. God loves everybody. Why would God, God loves humanity. God just loves everybody. And we take that love, that that general love that God does have for mankind and in doing so, we cheapen grace and we cheapen sin and we cheapen the cross. I always remind myself of this. If you ever wanna know what it means for the Father's love through Jesus Christ, rent the passion and watch that over and over and over. That is what Jesus Christ, did for our sin. So yes, God loves the world. But this type of love only comes through love of the son. This is redemptive love. This is adopted into the family of God love. This is when we look and we're, we're looking into a crowd and we say, God loves you. This is the type of love that only comes when we accept Jesus Christ, his only begotten son for who he is as a true gift from the father to his creation. That is love. That is redemptive love. And there's a difference. Yes, God is a God of love. But notice what he says here. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me. So there is a love of the world. I can can look into creation and say, my goodness, aren't we glad that we serve a God that is a loving God, that has given us life and is giving us breath. But aren't we glad there's a specific love that comes to the cross of Jesus Christ? Here's another great example. This type of love only comes through the love through Jesus Christ. Back up a few chapters ago. How many disciples is he talking to now? How many? Eleven. Did God love Judas? Yes. Did Judas love Jesus for who Jesus was? No. Did he embrace Jesus for him being who he is? No. And so yes, there's this sense that God loves. But God is also fair and righteous and just and he must punish sin. And the last scene we see of Judas is a a lost, depraved, void-filled, depressed man that gave his own life in a hideous way. Because he knew that he had denied the Savior. So yes, there is a love of God. But what we're talking about here is that Father love. That can only be experienced as we understand the love that the Father has for us by sending His Son, Jesus Christ. So today we ask about this love and we say, okay, well, how do we know today who loves the Father? And I I could stay here the whole time, but I won't. How do we know today who truly loves the Son? By repentance and faith, just like Judas. When we understand what our sin means and we we turn from that sin and we turn to Christ, we grasp and we see Jesus for who he is because the element, here's salvation. Here's what it means to be saved. Here's when someone makes a decision. All the words we use, born again, baptized, church member, all the things we throw around, God loves you. Here's what it means. How and what do you do with the son? Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you love Him? Do you adore Him? Do you worship Him? Do you live your life after Him? Do you, do you have an understanding of what grace and mercy are all about and how wonderful it is that your sins have been forgiven and why would Jesus do that for me and all I want to do is live my life where I love Him and adore Him and I'm consumed with Him. That is, I love the Son, therefore the Father loves me. You think about what this means as we think about what they were going to face as they lived their life. If we don't have the love of the Father, we'll never be able to live the life out. If we don't understand the Father loves us, we'll never be able to live this life out. If we don't understand true love, we'll never be able to live this life out. And true love of the Father only comes through true love of the Son. Judas believed in Jesus. Judas followed Jesus for a season of time. Judas could pick Jesus out on a line of people, but Judas did not love the Son as the Son. And he did not know Jesus. We live in a day and age where everybody believes there is a Jesus, but do we love the Son and know that we are loved by the Father? They could not grasp at first, but yet notice what it says. There is an hour that is coming. That hour of coming, notice in verse 25, is the fulfillment of the promise of the helper that we looked up a couple weeks ago. And at that moment, this is us today, at that moment, guess what happens? We are lost, and then we are found. We are blind, and now we see. And as we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and we encourage someone to repent of their sin and place their faith in Christ, they acknowledge God for who he is. That day that is coming, the Holy Spirit opens up our eyes to who Christ is, our need for Christ, our love for Christ, and all that Christ means to us. And immediately at that moment, we are adopted into the family of God and we receive that salvific love from the Father. So yes, God loves you. But through the cross, God loves you. And there's a big difference. I don't would hope that none of us want to the type of love that Judas had of the Father. But what a true disciple has is love of the Father. So there's our, our love. I know that, that I, I have the love of the father because of what he gave me in the son. I know the father loves me. Secondly, faith. Look at verse 27 and the second part of 27. You've loved me and I have believed that I came from God. I came from the father and have come into the world and now I'm leaving the world and going to the father. Verse 29, the disciple says, oh, now you're speaking plainly, not using figures of speech. Verse 30. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you have come from God. Verse 31 Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? behold the hour is coming indeed has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and you will leave me alone yet I am not alone for the father is with me this word believe carries the idea of trust Jesus saying do you believe who I am do you trust who I am I am going there's going to be a day I'm going to the father you will not be alone you've got to trust who I am that's faith to me saving faith is trust believe Whatever we want to call the words that we use for that, F A I T H, forsaking all, I trust Him. My word about believe is trust. Do I truly trust who Jesus Christ is? As we think about the disciples, it was not easy to be a disciple for the Lord Jesus Christ in this context. Amen? So, why do we think it should be easy for us? I think about that all the time. Can I let you into my world a little bit? Sometimes I shut the door and I'll say something like this Lord, I know you're busy. I'm even to get selfish when I say that. Lord, I know you're busy, but you think maybe this Sunday we could have standing room only at church? Just, you know, I think that'd be nice because that, that would show me that I'm a good pastor. Lord, background music's playing naturally. Do you think, Lord, that this week our church will just love each other and we'll be the most unified church, this side of heaven, because as a, as a pastor, that would be really neat to be able to see that, and to know that you're, you're blessing us, and that, you know, maybe um, maybe first thing Monday morning, Jacob, who's working with us over the summer, will have to get the wet back out and get all the tires out of the uh, tears out of the carpet. Because everybody was weeping at the altar and we had to finally tell everybody to get off the altar so we can go home at three. Everybody stays awake while I preach. I can go on and on. Because Lord, that would be good for me. I want to feel good. I want to be good. I want people to like me good. I want everything to go good. And here's my list, Lord Jesus. I know you're busy, but really, I I trust in who you are and this is what I need. Now, this is not theologically accurate at all, but it's fun in my world. I think at that time, Peter and Paul would say, can I answer him, Lord? Let let me answer that prayer for him. Hey, mister, I gave my life for the gospel of Jesus Christ and I was beaten and I was persecuted. I didn't have a church. I just walked from city to city planning churches and this that and the other. And look at old Peter over here. Peter's got the scars from being baptized upside, baptized, crucified upside down. They say Paul was beheaded. I, I mean, could you imagine that? But that's what we do. Lord, I, I believe who you are and I, I want my day to go well and I want everything good. And I, Lord, I got these great plans for my future and everything needs to be good. And I just don't understand why, why all this stuff is going on. And if you, you say that you love me because God loves me, isn't that true? That's us. That's us. That's our prayer journal. Jesus, listen, that, that ain't gonna happen. You've got to trust me. We're not of this world. We're just in it. We're not staying here forever. So why do we live like we are? This is not our final home. We can believe in who he is when we can trust in who he is. And that trust goes back to that love. I may not get everything I want, but I know my father loves me. And we've been singing about it since we could sing. I've got the whole, he's got the whole world in his hands. If he's got the whole world in his hands and he loves me, I'm willing to bet he can give me everything I need and everything he would wish for me to have. And trust is stop questioning what the Lord is not doing on your agenda and trusting on his agenda that he loves you. There's nothing more you need to know than God loves you. says that we can have this faith. Notice the disciples here. They had their current faith or their current trust was very immature. Jesus even said in a few hours you're going to scatter and a little bit later we find out, Peter, you're going to deny me. They had a very immature faith and a very immature trust. Faith is trust. Yet there'll be a future. There'll be a day when they will not have an immature faith and a trust, and one of my favorite things in in the book of Acts we learned, they turned the world upside down for the Lord Jesus Christ, man, what happened from here to there, they got saved, they got born again, they got filled with the Holy Spirit, they understood the love of the Father, and they understood what it is to truly believe in Jesus Christ, and place their trust in Christ, and they literally turned the world upside down, Mature faith is not getting everything you want. Mature faith is being content where God has you. And as I follow Christ, I'll always be where He wants me to be. But guess what? If I'm not following Christ, I'm out of His will. How does that treat you? Because He is a loving Father, He will discipline those that He loves. They will have a mature faith. As I was thinking on it, it says, you will leave me alone. You are scattered each to his own. I will, and you will leave me alone. Yet I will not be alone for the father is with me. And so I read that. So they're gonna, so Jesus you know, physically, they're gonna scatter, he gets arrested and they all leave him and there's Christ alone. In a real sense, he was alone, but he wasn't alone, but he had a father. I got thinking, hey, this is good. Because he was alone on that cross and he died on that cross for our sin, just as Jesus will say, I was not alone because the Father was with me. Because of your trust and faith in Christ, you're not alone and the Father is with you. Even in the Great Commission, lo, I'm with you even to the end of the earth. We are never alone in Christ. Isn't that a great place to be? We are never alone when we truly have Christ. We have the Father's love. And we have faith in who he is that leads to that trust. Then we see here in the last verse, this word hope. It's actually becoming one of my favorite words in scripture, hope. It's the idea that something will, that something's going to happen. And we know what's going to happen. We may not see it, but we know what's going to happen. His great hope. When a believer passes away, we weep and we mourn. But what do we say? Our hope is that we'll see them again. Our hope is with or with the Lord. We we know that. I know that emphatically. What do you mean? That's hope. I know it's going to happen. It's a futuristic event. I know the Lord is going to return. That is what my hope is in. I know that. I know that he will take care of me. Why? Because I'm him. That is what my hope is in. I know that everything that I want to be according to God's will, you know, not only am I a grandfather, my grandchild is here today, by the way. I want to be a great granddad. Is that too selfish to ask? I want to be a great granddad. I'm struggling now because I still want to be a parent. Grandparents got that joke. It's not a joke. Grandparents got that. I wanted to get Georgiana up at 6.30 and hang out with Papa, but guess what? I'm not the parent. I got vetoed. I was told very early this morning by a not-so-happy mother, if you wake that child up... So I backed away. I want to be a great-granddaddy to all of my grandchildren, my hope, is that I can do that. Now, how sad would that be if we're going, man, I hope he figures this out. Somebody suggests a good book. Hey, maybe we can send them to a conference. Could you imagine hoping for something and you have no idea whether it would happen? How depressing would that be? I hope I can be a great grandfather. You can I hope I can be a great husband, a great father, a great grandfather. You can. You've got God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. We've got the Word of God. you got everything you need. Everything I need to be a great grandfather is right here for me. And the Lord says, hey, it's going to happen. I've done my part. Am I willing to do mine to grow in the likeness of Christ to understand it? That's going to be pretty neat. You know what heaven's going to be like? I don't know. i make up what heaven's going to be like. I'm still going to be a little kid when I get to heaven, by the way. I'm coming for the Lord. All 48 of my grandchildren will be up there. <laughs> I also have Emily and Bryce here today. So we have all the begs here. That was a prophetic statement. All 48 of my grandkids would be up in heaven and i go, I did it! I did it! Jesus, I did it! He said, John, yes, you did. You loved me, you trusted me, you followed me, you loved my word. you, you just, I mean, isn't that, it's that simple. Why do we make it so hard? I did it. Yes, you did. Could we say that? Is that what our hope is based in? on what we have in Christ? Notice there's, there are three things in this one verse and I'll close with this. As we hope in Christ, we understand how we do live in this world as overcomers. How can we finish? One of my favorite things, just finishing well, living life every day how to live the Christian life out. What does it mean to have this hope, this I know it's going to be okay, but you don't know what I'm going through. I don't know, but your father knows. And the disciples went through so much and so many people before us have gone through so much. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Everybody has endured what you're going through. Everybody is enduring what I'm going through. As as a pastor, some days are better than others. You understand this in church life. I'm just telling what you already know. Do you know how many other pastors have done what I've done? They'll tell you the same thing. You're not alone. You've got this because of Christ. Three pillars, three stones, three mighty foundations of what this hope is. Look right there in verse 33. I've said these things to you that you may have peace. Hope is having peace. Well, the first thing that Christ said when he, he come through the upper room door, that's where his, his uh, tomb was empty and he stood before the disciples. We'll get to that. Peace be with you. Look, Peace. No more conflict. There are holes in my hand that have been healed. I have paid the debt for your sin. You don't have to worry about anything anymore. There's no more conflict. There's no more dismay. No more nothing. Peace be with you. Isn't that a great word, peace? It's just me go, oh, peace. It's going to be okay. He loves me. And though the world may not love me, I can have peace because my peace is with God. We are not alone. We have a helper. The second word, take heart. Notice what it says. Peace, in the world you have tribulation. Take heart. Be courageous. So like a, that was VBS a few years ago on it. Be courageous. Some of us are not very Courageous. Pastor, I'm trying. Well, there are days I do that. I'm trying. I might walk around the corner, stick my head in my Oh, I'm trying. I don't feel very courageous today. That's okay. I think it's a lie to tell everybody you need to feel great all the time too. Some days you just don't feel very courageous, do you? But we are courageous You know why I'm courageous? Because I'm following Jesus. Think about that. We go out in the world and somebody's got something against me, I'm with him. I'm going to start doing that. Pastor, I just thought I'd tell you we don't like what you're preaching anymore. I'm with him. that's his word hey I'm with with him take it up with him we don't believe you're Jesus anymore Christians in the world today we don't you know uh, you can't do this okay I'm with him I'm with him we use analogies a lot you know take it up with my father I've got an issue uh, Christians you Christians uh, hey I I'm just doing what my father asked me to do. If you got a concern, I'll, you need to take that up with my father. That's what courage is. Just make it, a, know what it says, take heart, have courageous, remember, reflect, don't forget, a belief that leads to action, that's the key, my belief that leads to an action, stand firm, live out, I can do it, he has done it. Simple things like that, I can do this, he has done it. If I get my heart right, I get my mind right, and then my my life is right. Sometimes I just got to keep reminding my mind, don't be conformed to this world, but be renewed, transformed by the renewing of your mind. Scripture, prayer, scripture, prayer. Oh, that's right. I'm taking to heart. I'm making a stand. I'm being courageous. I have peace. I have courage. Notice that last word. I have overcome the world victory Sharon came home the other day and I was watching Oklahoma and Georgia in the Rose Bowl just like this oh is it started already how can she live with me and not know college football season has not started yet well, why are you watching that? Well, I don't know why I have a Sharon voice doing that. Why are you watching that? And why are you so nervous? And I was like, because it's a great victory for the history of the University of Georgia. Then she said something like, you gonna watch the Alabama game? No. Don't watch blown coverage games. I turned the volume up and Sonny Michelle, Michelle was in the wild dog package and he took the snap and he rode left and he went to the end zone and again, I went running through the house. She was, that's just, I'm not, even gonna, I'm not even gonna look at this. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I'm going to do lesson plans. <laughs> I love a good victory. Woo! Yes! Yes! You know what church is to me. When we come to church and sing, we were having church. We were having church at the very beginning. But sometimes, in my vocabulary, when you're singing, I'm like, "Man, we're having church up in here." The words to the songs that we were singing, we're having church, and you just get excited, and you realize, you know what? He died on that cross, but he rose again. That tomb was empty. And he went to the right hand of the Father and he sent the Spirit and he just filled the believer and I have the love of the Father and I have that that hope, that that faith and that belief that I have in Christ and I have that hope because I have peace. And I can stand in that hope and be courageous because we've won. Here's a Christian today. Y'all do Twitter? Twitter? Oh my goodness, look what they're doing at the White House. What are we going to do? Oh, I just want to look at y'all and say, y'all are. I almost said something. I got in trouble. Almost, thank you. The Holy Spirit is guiding me this morning. The only word I can say is moron because it's in Scripture. Are you crazy? We're more concerned about what is going on in the White House and our borders and the church house. We need to be concerned of what is going on on Pennsylvania Avenue, but we need to be knowing what's going on in our hearts when it comes to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Trump is not going to bring us victory. Obama's not going to bring us victory. Hillary Clinton's not going to bring us victory. Whoever... Oprah's not going to bring us, nobody, nobody is going to bring us victory like the Lord Jesus Christ has already given us. We ought to be running around like a crazy Georgia fan at the end of the Rose Bowl, and we're not. We're walking like a Georgia fan at the end of the national championship game. Notice what he says. I have. Overcome the world. Yes, we live in a fallen world, but he's overcome it. Now, let's move back to where I started. Last words out of his mouth before his arrest. He knew it wasn't gonna be easy on us. It's not easy today. It's, it's harder today than it was 20 years ago, 40 years ago. Would you not agree to that? But the same words that Jesus gave to the disciples, you know how hard it had to be to live out the Christian life in the immediate context of this, say, the first 10 years after Christ's death? And he says, you have the love of the Father and faith in me and the hope of who I am. I have overcome the world. Do you know Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior? Not like Judas. We're going to look at that further tonight. Please come back tonight. Not a Judas faith. Not a I believe in Jesus faith. Not I believe in God faith. But I believe in who Jesus Christ is and I trust in what he did for me. And I want to live for him and have that love and that faith and that hope and be that overcomer. There may be some of you saying here this morning, Pastor, I needed to hear that because I'm telling you what, the world is heavy around me. There are people in our midst in this room right now that are walking through some heavy stuff, and it's heavy. And when I pray for you, one of the first things I pray is thank you, Lord, for their salvation because without you, they could not be bearing this load. So please don't take this to mean that everything needs to be rosy in your little world and your pains just go away. I'm not saying that. But what we all need to know is that we are not alone and that we are overcomers and we have that love, we have that faith, and we have that hope. Let's stand as we pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning, for the the picture of baptism through the life of Eric. We're grateful for this morning to hear the word proclaimed, to to hear fresh and anew the words of our saviors he shared with those disciples. Help us to see this morning that type of love and that type of faith and that type of hope. Help us to see this morning the faith of a Judas type compared to the faith and the trust of a disciple. As we sing this morning words of faith and hope and trust, let us consider these things. Let us consider the words that we have heard. And this we pray in Christ's name, amen.